As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them along the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Would you stand with me as we sing that very phrase this morning? Hosanna, Hosanna, 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It is great to see you in worship today. What a beautiful day uh, we have to come and be in this place. And we are glad that you're here to worship with God's church, with his church family. Thank you for being here. We want to welcome all of you. If you're a guest of ours, we ask you to please take one of the, the care cards that's located in the pew rack there in front of you. And we would love to have your information. There's information you can also request from the church. So please uh, fill that in. And on the back of the care card for all of us uh, is a place to put any prayer needs that you have. Uh, these do get directed to the right uh, staff person. And we pray for you. And so we want to know what's going on in your life. As you leave today, those cards can be placed in the white boxes that are just on either side of the back uh, double door. And we would love to have that information from you. So thank you again uh, for being with us. Today is Palm Sunday. Uh, we hope that you'll be reflecting on what Christ did for us so many year, years ago during this week being Holy Week. There'll be some special and different things happening this week, so be aware of that. We do not have Wednesday night events, but we do have a Thursday night, Monday, Thursday, Lord's Supper service right here in this room beginning at 7 o'clock. And folks, that's a special service. Uh, when we leave... Uh, we normally leave that service, if Jonathan has it the same way, we leave in silence. And it's uh, pretty somber to think about that night, the Lord going and being taken uh, and, and basically thrown into a mock trial and accused of things he wasn't guilty of, to be tortured for you and me. And when we think about those things, boy, it really does bring into some perspective what Good Friday is all about. It wasn't good for Jesus when we see the outside things, but boy, it sure was good for us. Amen? That Jesus died and made a way uh, for us to be saved. So be thinking about that this week, uh, about what Jesus went through for us and his love for us so many years ago. So then on Sunday, we do have some other things uh, that are happening. Sunrise service in the back parking lot, weather pending. Uh, we'll be right outside the core at 7 o'clock in the morning. And so we'd love for you to come be a part of that. Breakfast is at 8 in the core gym. And our mission teams to Alaska and Paris will be helping out with that. And any tips, we'll have some tip jars down there. Any tips given, we'll, be go, uh, uh, we'll use to offset the cost of those trips. So if you can help that way, that'd be great. Community groups at a regular time of 9 o'clock and then in worship right in here again next Sunday at 10.15. There are no evening events. That's on purpose for you to be able to spend time that day with your family. We encourage you to do that. Be in prayer for our youth mission team. They leave early this Wednesday from Malawi, Africa. Uh, we'll have a commissioning prayer at the end of the service. There are prayer cards look like this uh, back on a small table as you leave uh, near the track rack that's over there. Please go by and get one of those. Put it in a prominent spot. Be praying. Uh, you can actually look on the back and pray for a couple of these folks by name. Uh, so we encourage you to go get one of those cards and have that uh, with you this week and pray for them as they leave on Wednesday. Hopefully you're prepared this morning to give to our annual uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Our church's goal is $70,000, and all that we collect goes to support the missionaries right here in North America. We'll have a march for missions in just a few moments, uh, but we will leave this open all month if you're not prepare to give this morning. Uh, some other things that are coming up, there's a family camp out at TN Spencer Park that's coming up on April 28th and 29th. There's a flyer and sign-up sheet on the information table in the lobby, basically the same place where you find these cards uh, that's there. There's a ladies' spring Bible study coming up uh, on April the 20th, also sign-up sheets there at the information desk. Let me just mention something in our church family too that's uh, taking place. Jenny Buckner, uh, passed away this last Thursday and uh, tomorrow there'll be a receiving of friends from 11 to 12 in the core gym a little different we normally have it in here but it, that'll be in the core gym and then a graveside service at 12 noon uh, that happens tomorrow and then any of our men that are interested in a spring softball league if you would see Perry Gladden or Devin Munn and let them know you're interested uh, they're working on trying to put a spring league uh, together for that. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then Jonathan's going to come and continue to lead in worship. God, we think of this day being Palm Sunday when people cried out Hosanna, that they 
saw you as the one that would set up your kingdom. They didn't totally understand that. And God, we know that some of those same voices by the end of the week were crying, crucify him. God, we ask you to forgive us for being a fickle people. We look at those that did that and kind of shake our head, but God, so many times we do the exact same thing. And so God, we ask you to forgive us. And God, we pray as we think through this week, as pastor comes and shares the message you've given him, God, that we would think about what Jesus has done for us, that we would be grateful and just, uh, God, even saying thank you seems so trivial as to what Jesus did for us and his love for us. And God, what you did to allow your son to come and die on a cross he didn't deserve. God, I pray we would think about that this week. I know there are needs in this room. We pray for the Braley family uh, in Jim's passing and his funeral yesterday. God, we pray that you would give them peace, the peace that your Holy uh, Spirit can only give that goes beyond our, our understanding, God. We pray that, that for them and for the Buckner family tomorrow as they come in and remember Jenny's life and how she served you and loved you. And God, we pray you'd be with that family too. God, we pray for our youth mission team. I know we'll have a prayer at the end, but God, we pray that even now you would prepare them and God's uh, God, uh, appointments for them and God-sized things, God. Just, uh, again, we pray for our service today as we sing, as we give. As we worship you, God, that you would be pleased with it and it would be about you. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Would you stand? As we begin singing, we invite you to bring your Annie Armstrong offerings and place them in the baskets at the foot of the cross this morning. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, come, ye who we can walk. There's a harbor for the broken where the hopeless are Come ye lost, afraid, forgotten, let your wandering souls find rest at your heart's door. He is able, he is able, Christ is able still to save. Come, ye sinners, for and me, sing to him our song of praise. Come, ye ransom. And forgive, come ye rescue from the grave. Rise and worship Christ our Savior for the glory of his name. In the stillness of the morning, in the quiet of the dawn, Praise will rise as darkness scatters and our song goes on and on. He is able, he is able, Christ is able still to save. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, sing to him our song of praise. heart the praise we lift our songs to him who saves we give our lives to share his grace we lift our songs to him who saves he is able he is able Christ is able still to save come ye sinners to him. 
I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed the door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. I will never be the same again. I can never return. I've closed that door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. Fall like fire. Float like rain. close the door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. And I will never be the same again. No, I will never be the same. For most of our Oglala people, summertime is known as the white van season. It's where white vans would show up and do a lot of great things, and then the white vans would leave. Twelve years ago, I came here on a white van, and um, just the imprint that the church has of coming and then leaving. I believe the Lord put that in my heart to begin the call for us to come um, live here for however long He needed us. We are in the, the southwest corner of South Dakota uh, on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Pine Ridge is home to the Oglala Lakota people. And um, we lead the country in everything you don't want to lead the country in. We have 80% unemployment. The teen suicide rate is 300% higher than the national average. And we're still ultimately an unreached people group here in the center of our country. We are absolutely an evangelistic ministry, but our approach is um, through compassion ministry. We do a free summer camp for our local kids. It's a day camp. We have church groups that help us do camps for typically eight weeks out of the summer. And then one of the greatest needs we have here is um, just basic housing needs, water lines, plumbing, electrical. And um, I've always done construction. You build relationships that way. So it became a pretty big staple for our ministry was just construction outreach. And then the journey of, of becoming a, a licensed dentist practice, dental practice, and through all of that, God has blessed us with some amazing um, churches and teams that have come from all over the country um, from day one um, and ha have helped us do this. And so to make the gospel accessible, our heart was to be consistent, to be here, to be present all year long. And so people here still call it the white van season, but now it's different. so much this morning for your gifts to uh, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions. Every dime that you give goes to the mission field and is being used uh, by people just like the gentleman uh, highlighted in the video this morning. So thank you. Um, let me thank you also for those who took part the past uh, five weeks in discipleship training on Sunday nights. I do want to emphasize to you that came to a close last Sunday night. But thank you again if you were in, in attendance uh, for that. 
Uh, Kevin mentioned about uh, Jenny Buckner and then Jim Braley uh, in his prayer time. Uh, very unusual occurrence for us this past Thursday. We had two of our members uh, pass away and go home to be with the Lord. Jim Braley and that service was yesterday and as he mentioned, uh, Jenny Buckner's tomorrow. So uh, please pray for their uh, family members as they grieve their loss, but also celebrate the homegoing uh, of their loved ones. You know, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. That's not news to anybody. Uh, if you've been here, what is special is we come to Palm Sunday and guess where we are next in our text? I didn't set out to plan it this way. It just happened. And that's the truth. Uh, we are in the Palm Sunday text in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 11. And this morning we'll be looking at the subject matter, the presentation of the king. The presentation of the king. I'd like to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and I'll begin reading in verse 1 of Mark chapter 11. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna! in the highest and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late he went out to Bethany with the twelve father I pray that you would open our hearts to understand the words of this text God this is your word your inspired infallible word and I pray that your Holy Spirit may be pleased to take it today and use it in our lives. Lord, thank you for what we have witnessed thus far in the Gospel of Mark. And Lord, we see as we enter chapter 11 that we're beginning to get into Passion Week. And we know it's very soon before Jesus will be rejected and, and mocked. And crucified. Lord, I pray that this would be a very special time of the year for us as we reflect upon the price that you paid that we might be forgiven and reconciled with you. God, may we never look uh, lightly or just in a passing way at what you've done. But may we be in awe of your great love for us. And God, may we surrender our lives to you as a living sacrifice. As Paul said there in Romans chapter 12. Help us not to be conformed to this world. But to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth might be pleasing in your sight today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now folks, as we enter this section of the Gospel of Mark, we do need to realize that we are entering into the main section. What would be thematically the main section of the Gospel of Mark? 
And we call it the passion narrative. Now, some of you may wonder, what does the passion narrative refer to? The passion narrative refers to the suffering of Jesus. We know that as he goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the remainder of the week he will be uh, examined daily by different groups. He will finally be put on trial, arrested and put on trial, and he will be crucified. He will suffer an agonizing death. We refer to this again as Passion Week. And this is the Passion Narrative. Now Mark's Gospel has actually been described as basically being a Passion Narrative with a long introduction. Now that might be a bit of an uh, exaggeration, but nonetheless you need to understand that the Passion Narrative accounts for 38% of the Gospel of Mark. 20% of the Gospel of Mark is devoted to the day of Jesus' death. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Out of three years of Jesus' public ministry that Mark has been recording, one-fifth of that, 20% of it, will be devoted to one day in Jesus' life, the day that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And you know, that certainly says something to us, does it not? It certainly says that Jesus' death and the circumstances of that death occupy a very prominent place in the minds of the gospel writers. And to me it's a testimony to the fact that we should never underestimate the importance of Jesus' death. Because without Jesus' death I would still be in my sin and you would still be in your sin. It's only through Jesus' death that you and I have peace with God and we are reconciled to a holy God. Now when we understand it like that, it helps us to see the importance that should be attached to the death of Jesus. It was no ordinary death. Let me say that again. Jesus' death was no ordinary death. We know that there on the cross, Jesus was dying in our place. Paul in Romans 3 verse 25 says he was the propitiation. God offered the propitiation for our sin. And that just simply means he took all of the wrath of God that was poured out on sin. And he took that himself in his own body on the cross so that you and I would not have to. Again, it was no ordinary death. It's no wonder that the Apostle Paul said to the Galatians, I will not glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus. Now folks, it's to all of these events that we begin to look today. Now, let's think about the setting for a moment. Everything from Mark chapter 11 to Mark chapter 16 takes place either in or near Jerusalem. Now, Galilee has been the place for the most part of Jesus' public ministry. Where Mark was showing Jesus through all the miracles that he's done to be the powerful son of the living God. But Jerusalem is the place of opposition to Jesus and the place of his condemnation. Now hold on to that thought today because we're going to turn over to Luke's gospel at the end. And we're going to see Jesus' reaction when he rode into Jerusalem on that, on that Palm Sunday and he got his glimpse of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem perched high on that hill. Jerusalem is the place of the rejection, the trial, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, when we get to the passion narrative, we need to understand also that time, time takes on a very added significance. Mark's gospel has been moving along very quickly. It is known as a fast-paced gospel. 
Mark will repeatedly say to us some 43 times, immediately Jesus did this, immediately he did that, then immediately he went to this location. And in rapid succession, one place after another, uh, Mark has shown us Jesus moving around the country and touching people's lives. But when Mark comes to the passion narrative, he slows down. For example, in chapter 14, verse 1, it will state that when the Passover was two days away, that the authorities conspired further against Jesus. And then in verse 12 of that chapter, uh, Mark will slow down again and talk about the preparations being made for the Passover meal. And then he'll even say that the Passover meal was that evening. And then he'll point out that the crucifixion was the next morning. And then the resurrection took place on the day after the Sabbath. And so you see what's happening? It's like Mark is slowing down and he's saying to us, the reader, don't miss this. You really need to slow down in your reading and you need to absorb everything that he is writing here. Now keep in mind also while Mark records this final visit of Jesus to Jerusalem, it certainly was not his only visit. In fact, John's gospel tells us it was Jesus' custom as it was for anybody uh, who was a Jew to go up to the Passover festival every year. And we've seen Jesus doing that. But Mark is recording the last Passover festival that Jesus attends. Now this whole section would have helped to answer the question as to why the Messiah had to die. He had to die in order to deal with sin. And we see also that Jesus laid down his life as he told his disciples he was going to. Now sure, man was involved, the Jewish leaders were involved, the Roman authorities were involved, the people were involved. But what we need to understand is that God is orchestrating this whole entire thing. God is sovereign and this is the reason why he sent his son into the world. Remember what the angel told Mary and Joseph, you are to call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Folks, this is so important to understand. God's son was not some helpless victim of circumstances beyond his control. God was in charge of every aspect of this plan of redemption. And I mention that because sometimes people act like things are spinning out of control in the world and we're left on our own. We see things like school shootings, church shootings, nations attacking other nations, planes flying into buildings. And, and we sometimes think, what all is going on in the world? Is man just some kind of helpless victim? And men and women are just kind of left standing back looking at everything going on in the world and wishing that somebody was in charge of it all? Well, guess what? Somebody is in charge of it all. God is. He's sovereign. History is his story. He's writing history. And all of these events we see about the life of Jesus in the passion narrative, even though on one level we see how tragic it was, on the other level, of course, we celebrate what he was doing for us. But especially what we need to see is God was the one doing this. God is directing everything that is happening. I want you to see with me first of all this morning the preparation of Jesus and his disciples for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And folks as we cover some of the material here as you look at the first six verses there's some background given here that you might be tempted to think is just meaningless detail. But I want to assure you, it is not meaningless detail. This is not a story about Jesus simply riding on a donkey into Jerusalem on a certain day. 
We need to understand that everything being done here is being carefully orchestrated and it is being uh, connected to what the Old Testament said would happen when the Messiah would be presented to Israel. Remember all the way back in the book of Malachi? In the book of Malachi, Malachi the prophet spoke of this, how the Lord, after the coming of Elijah, which Jesus said John the Baptist fulfilled that role, after the coming of Elijah, the Messiah would would suddenly come to his temple one day. Well, that's what's going on here. Jesus is going to suddenly come to the temple Look around and leave. The next day he'll curse the fig tree. Showing that Israel did not bear the fruit in season that they were intended to bear. And then you'll have him driving the money changers out of the temple grounds. And and cleansing the temple. and, And then he has confrontations with religious leaders. They reject Jesus. All of this is happening and fulfillment of prophecy. So I don't want you to think that this is just like any other day or any other week and that all of these details uh, don't matter. They do matter. In fact, if we could really read this story in light of the Old Testament prophecies and see how every detail is being perfectly fulfilled, I think chills would run up and down our spine. The Messiah is being presented, presented to his people there in Jerusalem, and he's coming suddenly to his temple. If only people could have seen what was happening. I mean, you read the gospel sometimes and you think, how in the world did these people not see this? How did they not connect all of these dots? But you know, I have a feeling that if you and I were living at that time and experiencing these events the way they were, you know what? We probably wouldn't have seen either. We probably would have blind eyes just like they had blind eyes. Jesus has been in around Jericho. He's crossed the Jordan River. Uh, he's come down the east side of the Jordan River in the area known as Perea. Then he crossed back over the Jordan. He came into Jericho. We looked at that last time. In Jericho, he had met Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has been gloriously saved. And he's healed blind uh, Bartimaeus. And then from Jericho, Jesus has made that difficult 20-mile walk uphill to Jerusalem from from Jericho and many of the people at Jericho have joined in this journey with Jesus. Jesus and the crowd they're headed up to Jerusalem again because it's the Passover feast and as he's nearing Jerusalem He gets to Bethpage and then Bethany, both of which are on the eastern side of Jerusalem, only about two miles away. The Mount of Olives is between Jerusalem and Bethany and Bethpage. While in those two towns, sitting immediately next to one another, Jesus sends two disciples to make all of the arrangements for the triumphal entry. They are to fetch a donkey. And the question is, was this a prearranged event? It could have been. There's nothing in the text to forbid that interpretation. And some look at it that way, that Jesus had made all these arrangements himself. More likely, though, Mark is uh, communicating that Jesus is sovereign. And the disciples would find everything just as Jesus had told them. The bystanders objected. Then the two disciples say the Lord needs the donkey. They release the donkey. And this says something about them. They have either become disciples of Jesus themselves. Or they are certainly sympathizers with him. But all of these are the details behind the triumphal uh, entry. The second thing I want you to notice though with me this morning, the the heart of the text is the presentation to Israel of its rightful king. 
Look with me again, beginning in verse 7. It says, They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now folks, you need to understand what would take place when Roman generals would conquer an area. They would come riding in on a golden chariot and they would have their armies around them and they would have prisoners captured around them and they would have their pagan priest walking along beside them and, and making sacrifices and offering as they went into a city, showing that they had triumphed over the area. But you know, Jesus walking into Jerusalem as their rightful king, he's setting a different tone. He's coming on a donkey. And riding on a donkey in Jesus' day was symbolic of a king coming in peace. And all of this again is in fulfillment of prophecy. In Zechariah 9.9 the prophet said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is the only time that Jesus is allowing himself to be presented to the people in this way. Because on previous occasions when the crowds would want to take Jesus and set him up as king, he would say, no, it's not time yet. And he would refuse or he would even slip through the crowd and he would disappear from their sight. But now again, he's carefully orchestrating everything. He's even riding into town on a donkey. By writing, Jesus is showing he's fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy and he's finally calling attention to his moves and who he is. It's his time. It's his time. He's in charge of everything. And by going through all of these motions with the crowd by his side, the Jewish authorities are going to have to take action. With the symbolism that's going on here, there is no mistake what Jesus is doing. He's finally carrying out the messianic display, something again that his disciples have been warning him to do. And he's doing that now. And Jesus knows that the authorities are going to take notice of this. And they are going to take action. And folks, we need to see something about the crowd. It's generally believed the crowd in Jerusalem would swell to probably three times its normal size. Because again, it's Passover week. And they were commanded to go up to Jerusalem for Passover week. And so here's this huge crowd, Jesus riding on a donkey. He's done all these miracles. There's all this commotion going on. It would have been impossible that this would not have caused quite a commotion and quite a stir. It's Sunday, remember, and on Friday, Jesus knows that the Passover lambs will be slaughtered and he will also be killed, the new Passover lamb. Think of the timing again. The Passover lambs will be examined that week to make sure that they are without blemish. Jesus will be examined. He will be examined by the religious authorities. He will even be examined by the civil authorities. And Pilate will say, he will conclude, I find no basis for a charge against this, against this man. Just like those Passover lambs, Jesus was examined and he was faultless. And so in order to charge him, they had to produce false witnesses and that's what they did. Just like the lambs that will be examined and then killed, that will happen to Jesus. 
all of this is taking place. Now immediately we move into a time of celebration along with this presentation. It may be difficult for us to understand all the imagery today, but make no mistake about it, the people at that time would have understood everything that was going on. And so what do they begin to do? They begin casting their garments on the roadway before Jesus. And they began casting their palm branches on the road before Jesus. And that brings an Old Testament event to mind. When Jehu became king in 2 Kings 9, we're told that garments were cast before him. It would be like rolling out the red carpet for somebody today. It was a symbolic gesture. And by laying their garments down, they were saying, we're laying, our, we're laying ourselves at your feet and we welcome you to rule over us. We are submitting ourselves to you. And again, also they're casting their palm branches in the path of Jesus. Palm branches being a symbol of peace and deliverance at the time. And so again, what's happening here? Jesus is being presented as their rightful king, as their Messiah. And everybody understood this. One scholar says we need to understand even instead of just one big crowd following Jesus into Jerusalem from Jericho, we need to see that as they were traveling along, going through every village, that there were people from every village pouring out and joining in this procession with Jesus up to Jerusalem. It would have been quite a sight to see. Folks, it would have been wonderful to be in the crowd that day. Amen? And you know what they're thinking? They're thinking it's time. Everything that we have been dreaming about the Messiah is going to do. He's finally going to do that. He's going to march into Jerusalem. He's going to throw off the bondage of Roman rule this week. He's going to set up King David's throne. And he's going to reign from David's throne forever and ever. His eternal kingdom is finally going to be established. Folks, that's what they're thinking in their minds is about to take place. Can you imagine the celebration they're having? But you know, it doesn't happen that way, does it? And it reminds us that God's ways are higher than our ways. What did they want? They wanted a quick fix. They wanted an immediate solution to the power of Rome being over them and dictating every little aspect of their lives. They wanted to be a free people with, with the Messiah on the throne and they would live there eternally under his perfect reign. Uh, they wanted that right then and there. And like us so oftentimes, what do we want? We want God to work in our lives the way we want Him to work right now. It's got to take place right now. We're an instant society, aren't we? We want instant everything, instant potatoes, we want drive-throughs, we want microwaves, we want everything to happen just right now the way we want it to happen. That's part of our human nature. And that's exactly how they were. And they're thinking it's all about to happen. But aren't you glad that Jesus had something much bigger, much broader, much deeper in mind? Because as the scripture said in his first advent, his first coming, he was coming as the suffering servant who would die for the sins of the world. He knew that before any kind of peace can be established on earth. First of all there's got to be peace in your heart and my heart between us and God. We've got to be put right with God. And nothing else can happen ultimately until that happens first. We've got to be made right with God. 
And that could only happen as Jesus laid down his life there on the cross and he died for our sin. And the people didn't see that. I'm glad that God's ways are higher than my ways. I'm glad sometimes, even though I don't understand at the, at the moment, that when I pray about something, maybe God doesn't answer that prayer right then and there the way I would like Him to. But you know, maybe a year later, two years later, maybe five years later, something happens and I'm able to connect it back to that prayer that I prayed maybe months or even years earlier. And I see how God's answered that prayer and He's answered it in a bigger and a more wonderful way than I would have ever dreamed of. And you know, in moments like that, you know what you're tempted to say? Thank you, Lord, that you don't operate the way I operate. Because you know what? God does see the bigger picture. God sees my deeper needs, and he sees your deeper needs. And he sees what needs to be done before things can happen the way we might want them to happen. And we can be very grateful for that. You know, sometimes God will even bring trials and tribulations in your life to get you to the point that you see that. Because He's developing your character. He's growing you as a disciple. He's developing patience and maturity in you. He can't do in your life maybe what you would want Him to do in that instant because you're not ready for it yet. God knows that other things have to take place first. And God certainly knew before we could dwell with Him in any kind of permanent state, He had to deal with the sin that separated us from Him. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we know that no sin can dwell in God's presence. And so before we can dwell in His presence eternally, He had to deal first of all with what is separating us from Him. And that's what Jesus was going into Jerusalem to do. And again, the people didn't see it. You know, Paul in Galatians 4, 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's what He was going to do. Verse 11 says that when He entered Jerusalem, He went into the temple, He looked around, and then He left and went back out to Bethany. It almost seems anticlimactic, but keep in mind they've been traveling all day. It's late, and that probably explains why everybody has dispersed so quickly because they're eager for the next day. They're probably thinking tomorrow we rumble, tomorrow we overcome Rome once and for all. That's what's in their minds. Think of the emotions that day. And to really understand Jesus' emotions, we have to turn over to Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 19. And we need to pick up reading in verse 41. Because I want you to see, thirdly, the lamentation of the Lord Jesus over the blindness of his people and the destruction this will bring. In verse 41 of Luke 19 it says, When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. They're on that Palm Sunday. Luke records this special touch for us. That as Jesus rides over the mount there at the Mount of Olives. And there's the Kidron Valley that dips down low. And then there's Jerusalem up on the next mount. As Jesus rides onto the Mount of Olives and he looks across the valley. He sees Jerusalem 
the city of God up on that mount in front of his eyes. And everybody with him is celebrating. But Jesus begins to weep. He begins to weep. He loved them. And he knew what was going to happen that week. Because he did not immediately overthrow the Roman yoke. By the end of the week they would turn on him and they would reject him. He had come to save them. But they could not see what he was coming to do. And because of that, not only would they forfeit peace with God and fail to gain eternal life, but they would end up destroying their very own city. You see, they would keep pushing the envelope with Rome to the point that they would eventually force a war with Rome. And that's what happened. In 70 AD, Rome finally got tired of dealing with the Jewish people. And so the Roman armies marched in under the leadership of Titus and they totally destroyed the city and they destroyed the temple. And it's said that Titus tried to get his troops to exercise some moderation. But because of the resistance that the Jews put up, time the Roman troops breached the city and got inside, they were so angry that they took out a full vengeance uh, on the city and the citizens of the city. And there was a massive loss of life. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells what happened. They hemmed the people of Jerusalem in. They built a ramp over the city walls. They went in. They killed 600,000 Jews. And they utterly demolished the city. It's reported by Josephus that the bloodshed was so bad, with 600,000 people being butchered, that there were literally streams of blood that were running into the streets of the city. Folks, that's what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 19. And what's even more sad is it didn't have to be this way. He said in verse 44, They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. They did not understand why Jesus had come in his first advent. If they had understood this, they would have never ended up picking a fight with Rome because they would have known he was coming to give them peace with God and his kingdom is not of this world. And so they wouldn't be trying to establish God's kingdom by force. And that's why Jesus is weeping. Because it could have been so different. If they would have only understood what the Old Testament had said about the first advent of the Messiah. If they would have only connected all of the prophecies together and connected all the dots together. Had they only clearly understood, they could have avoided all of that. But they were blind. And so Jesus wept. Now, folks, let's bring that closer home to us. This is a perfect illustration of the final destruction that people who reject Christ will face. Jesus said of them that they did not recognize the time of their visitation. The, the word time there is the word kairos. It has to do with a special moment of opportunity. A special moment of decision. Jesus moved in and among the Jews. They did not recognize the significance of the moment. Life was offered, but they chose death because they thought in the long run they had a superior way and they ended up in spiritual death. 
What about many people today? Same thing. They try to establish their own way over God's way, and they reject God's way, and they ultimately end up in spiritual death. And if they don't change, they'll wind up in utter destruction. You know, the Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. Folks, if we reject what Jesus has done for us and we think we've got a better plan, we'll die too. We'll die not only physically, but we will die spiritually. So to me, the real lesson on Palm Sunday is are our eyes open to God's ways? Do we understand what God is trying to do, what God is doing? God doesn't have to try to do it. God accomplishes what he purposes. You know what I'm saying. Do we understand what God is doing? Have you understood that? Why he sent his son in the first place? It's because you can't save yourself, and I can't save myself. There's no amount of good deeds you or I could ever do that we could justify ourselves in the sight of a holy God. God had to step in and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. If he didn't, we would be without hope. Are our eyes open to that? Or are we blind to that? And are we still trying to do things ourselves, our ways? If that's you, you need to take a lesson from this first Palm Sunday and see that you need to be praying, God, open my eyes to what you're about. I want to give you some takeaways this morning. First of all, it's possible to be in the crowd following Jesus without really following him. There were many in the crowd that first Palm Sunday. They they were following Christ, but again, not really following him. They weren't following him on his terms. They were following him on their own terms. They were singing and shouting as a part of the crowd, but at the same time, they were rejecting his true mission. They missed why Jesus had come in the incarnation. Folks, they missed it. Don't be like them. Don't miss what God has done for you in Christ. Secondly, Jesus voluntarily laid down his life for you and me. He went to Jerusalem and did not shy away from public notice. No one took his life. He laid it down. This only happened because it was God's plan. Please understand, God is sovereign. He knows exactly what he's doing. Don't ever forget that. And then thirdly, Jesus had to die for sin if sin was to be defeated. There was no other way. There's no other way for sin to be dealt with. You and I have come short of the glory of God. And there's no other way to be made right with God than through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Have you come to Christ for the cleansing of your sin? Somebody says, well, that sounds exclusive, and it is. But I want you to see that God also makes it very clear. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ. God's made it that simple. Have you come to Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that right now, There would be those who would come to Christ trusting Him and Him alone for their salvation. Lord, help them to cry out to you in a very simple way, saying, God, save me, forgive me. 
Jesus, cleanse my sin. Come into my life and help me to live for you and to follow you as Lord. And Lord, help Christians right now as well to preach the gospel again to themselves, reminding themselves of where their hope is. It is in Christ and Christ alone. God, remind us that you're in charge. You have all things in your control. And may we take great comfort at that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.